You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. How's it going, man? Uh, it's good to be here. Good to be recording another episode. We're in the 400s, by the way. It's pretty crazy. We are in the 400s. I can't believe that this many episodes have come out in the past five years. And recently, side note, recently, I interviewed someone on the podcast, and I'm not going to name any names here, uh, but you may have heard the podcast. If not, then uh, you haven't found it because I deleted it. Very random. Rarely, if ever, I think maybe one time, now this is the second time in the history of my 400 episodes, have I ever deleted an episode on the podcast. So why did I do that? Well, there was an interview with a guy and I do interviews with so many different types of people. I don't discriminate on any sense at all. Like I want to hear from all walks of life, men, women, I, you know, doesn't matter even what you do if you're like a hardcore PUA or if you're whatever. It doesn't matter. I want to talk to everybody. Because it's interesting to hear people's perspectives. In many ways, it's entertaining. Uh, and in most ways, there's always something to learn from everybody. You know, anyone who's doing anything, there's always something to learn, even if it's a repeat lesson. And so I have lots of people here on the podcast, and I had someone on. And as I was doing the interview, I could just tell this just wasn't very valuable. I just didn't see the value in it. Maybe a little bit entertaining, but it was just someone who was spitting out so much. It's like there was no rhyme or reason. There was no structure to what he was saying. You know, I think that he's probably pretty good at what he does in terms of meeting women, but I think he needs some work on being able to explain it. And so I feel like the explanations wasn't really up to par here on the podcast. And also everything he was saying was just coming from a serious, arrogant state where it just sounded like he was more just telling stories of, of kind of showing off rather than getting to a point where we were learning lessons. And I just don't think that that's very valuable. So I decided to keep it for a little bit because I thought, hey, why not? Let me just keep it on there. Maybe people can learn some stuff. And then I started getting some feedback from it from guys. And I rarely ever get feedback, rarely ever get feedback on someone who says anything about a specific guest. But I started getting feedback from people. And I thought to myself, you know what? I should have trusted my gut. And I think at that point, you know, is it was a mistake that was made is I should have trusted my gut when I came off the interview, knowing that this is not something I should air because it really just wasn't helpful. And you know, people might not be like, oh man, I really want to hear it. Like, wow, it's a taken down episode. Like, really, it's nothing to listen to. It's not that, it's not that crazy. And I don't think it was teaching guys the right stuff. And I got some feedback and I'm listening to that feedback. No one said, like, oh, you should take it down. But people were like, I don't know what this is all about. Like it, it wasn't one of your solid episodes that you usually do. I mean, the whole thing was I couldn't even get a word in. You know, every time I tried to speak, it was just a lot of interruption. It was not a very uh, civil type of conversation. I don't mean that we were arguing or anything, but I, it just was a very one-sided... Con it wasn't a conversation. Conversations with two people. So it felt very one-sided. 
And people started to see that. And it kind of told me, you know what? I got to trust my gut. When an interview doesn't go as well as I'd want it to, it's probably time that I take it down. And so I did. And so I want to just share that with some of the guys who I know have probably heard that episode and know what I'm talking about. And again, those of you who have like, no, I haven't heard this episode. Like, what was it? I mean, some of you might have even heard the episode and not even realize what I'm talking about. But to me, it just wasn't the quality that I wanted to put out there. So just wanted to say that because I really care about all the guys who listen to this podcast. I love doing this podcast. This is so much fun for me and I care for it and I want it to be as quality as possible for you. So I want to continue having a great relationship with you, the listener, and always provide great content as much as possible. And speaking of that, today I have an interview with DJ Fuji or Darren, and he gave an amazing, we had an amazing talk. It was an amazing interview. It was two of us having a good conversation. He gives great content, great explanations, very honest, very raw. And it was, it was, it's just going to be very valuable. And you're going to see that here in just a second. And of course, you know, sometimes I go into these interviews and I know they're going to be great. Like most of the time I know they're going to be great. And I, try to get all kinds of people on here. And sometimes I don't know if they're going to be great, but they usually turn out fine, except for that last one. And this one was one of those ones where I just knew it was going to be awesome because I know Darren. I've known him for over a decade now, which we talk about here on the interview. And I knew he was going to give some great content because he's so good at explaining things. And he really hits some core stuff here. So you're going to enjoy it and you're going to learn a lot, which is the best combination here. So I'm going to hand it over to Darren and myself doing this interview. Here it is. Check it out. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Darren, what's going on, man? Good to have you on the podcast. Hey, man. How are you? Good to be or here. Should I call you DJ Fuji? What do you go by? Uh, either. Either. I'm, I'm good okay, with both. Cool. Okay, cool, man. It's great to, to have you on here. So weird that this is the first time having you on here. Yeah, right. You're one of the first people I ever really met. Yeah. Talking back in 2009, 2010, when I was starting to learn all about meeting women. Yeah. And, and then I know you just got, we just talked about this a second ago. You got on, you're like, dude, what happened? Like, you were doing this documentary. And by the way, no one even knows about that. So I'm happy to talk (laughs) about it. But, but yeah, yeah, you're doing a documentary and then, all of a sudden you became a dating coach because when we met, I was not doing dating coaching. I was sure. working in the entertainment industry. Yeah. yeah, yeah curious, what do you remember from all that? I remember the actual interview. We sat down at the top floor of the place in Eagle Rock, right? Yep. That's correct. That? That was the and, uh, yeah, we yeah, we sat down and we uh we did an interview and you know, we talked about a bunch of stuff. And um I think your cousins with Robbie, or is that a joke that was played on me? No, that that was a joke. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. we we have the same last name, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah okay. Robbie Kramer. Okay. Yeah. Um. So the uh yeah so we, they did this whole documentary and everything, and then um, kind of next thing I know it, it seemed like overnight, but uh, you know I'm sure there's there's a huge story to this, but you know your name pops up, and uh, I'm like, is that the same trip? <laughs> Trip's not a super common name, and then uh, you know I see your picture on YouTube, and I'm like, oh my god, that's Trip, that's crazy, like very yeah. like, everything just kind of comes full circle. Yeah, I guess what ended up happening was this. So I was working in the entertainment industry and I was I was working probably for like a good six to nine months 
on my own trying to create a documentary on just the story of this group called the Casanova Crew that started that was really popular in SoCal. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make a documentary on them and find the stories within them. And I was interviewing a lot of coaches. And you were one of them. And mm-hmm. I remember you were awesome at what you did. And so I remember even this, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, I actually went on a boot camp with you and I followed you around, not as a student, but just seeing what you did because I was curious about what these boot camps look like. Do you remember that? It was at the Edison. Uh, yeah, vaguely. Vaguely. Okay, vaguely. Because yeah. you've done so many boot camps. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I followed you. I, I just followed you around and, and was there the whole time. I think it was like a six-hour boot camp or something like that. And you were doing all these drills and exercises and taking the guys out. So the reason why I even knew about the Casanova crew and knew about you and, and all these coaches was because I was a student of it. So I was learning about it. I wasn't completely on the outside. I was in, in it and learning it. And then when I started to learn more about the industry, I became so fascinated that that's when I started to do the documentary. The documentary didn't end up working out. I just couldn't get funding for it. And I would just yeah, was broke. So I, I wasn't able to fund it on my own. It just wasn't possible. It's funny because nowadays... This was back in 2009. Right. Now it's like so cheap to get a nice yeah. camera. Like Nowadays, I could have mm-hmm. totally done it. I know. But, I know. There wasn't even iPhone. Oh, there was iPhones, but they weren't. They weren't making good videos back then. I, yeah. I didn't have an iPhone. So, what seems like a, a day later to you, it was probably around two years later. That's mm. when I decided to actually start being a dating coach. So, between the end of the documentary and then about 2011, 2012, that's when I decided to get into the industry myself because I was doing a podcast, not this one, another one, mm. and then I jumped into it. And then in 2012, 2013, and 14, that's when I started the YouTube channel and started it to take off. So you uh, probably just remember it. It happened very fast for you because it was whatever. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was multiple years. But then that's probably when you saw that. And then, and then, yeah, so I've been doing the dating coaching ever since 2011, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah, that is crazy, man. Yeah. so that's a wild and, story. And you've been doing it. So, well, the guys who listen, listen to the podcast, they know a lot about me, but let's dive into you. So... How did you get started? I mean, I know some of your story already. Look, you worked with Mihao, and uh, I don't even know if people even know who that is anymore. But I'm sure um, they don't. yeah, do you do you keep in touch with them at all? No, 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 no. Okay. Um, yeah. I I got my start in 2004, 2005 ish, which is an eternity when you when you look at that when you do the math right now. <laughs> um, basically, what happened, you know, kind of my from from the beginning was for those obviously those this is audio, so you guys may not you know you know what I look like. So I'm a five foot four Asian guy, right? Not very classically good looking. Horrible, horrible social anxiety growing up. Very introverted, very socially awkward. And so my whole life, I've been essentially trying to fix this problem of not having friends, people not wanting to be around me. And it wasn't like I was like a jerk to people. Like in fact, I was voted like the nicest kid in eighth grade, which if you know anything about eighth grade, that's not a compliment. <laughs> but <laughs> that's that's definitely an insult. But the my the whole my whole life I've been plagued by this idea that like my mom would tell me she's like hey some boys just have it and you don't so you better get good grades now I don't know Ouch. if that was just like the tiger mom thing like yeah. trying to push me but it, but it worked right but then I very quickly realized like getting good grades doesn't get you dates or even friends in high school all it gets you is people that want to steal your homework so that didn't work so well so then in high school I uh, I joined the wrestling team 
And part of it was my dad was a wrestler and I, and I, and I, I needed to toughen up because I was getting bullied. And um, I like put my heart and soul into this. Uh, so that the second year in, I, was, I had lettered varsity ready. I had like this varsity jacket. And I was like, oh, now things are going to change because I'm an athlete. I'm a varsity athlete in my sophomore year, right? And then nothing changed. It just, I stopped getting beaten up, but nothing changed in terms of like, there, there was no like, you know, the TV, the girl that likes the, the, the athletes, right? That just didn't happen. And I was like, okay, this must not work for Asian guys or five foot four Asian guys. Either way, it's not working. So afterward, I had plans to enlist in the Marines. And um, that was my family comes from a military family and, and everything. So it wasn't, that wasn't the reason. But in the back of my head, I was like, hey, that's a really good you know, thing that should solve this problem. Even the recruiters like, you're not going to have a problem with girls. So I go to the Marines, nothing changes. It's exactly the same. The only difference is that I'm around hundreds of guys now. But even the times when I'm around girls, nothing's changing. And I start to get depressed because I start to think, you know, you know, maybe it's not these other facets. Maybe it's just me. Like maybe there's something wrong with me. And so I go through this I th- and every time I'm like, oh, it's something different. So I get out of the Marines and I think, oh, it's money. Girls like money. And I, all I have right now is a background in fighting and the Marine Corps. So I need to make money. So I go out and I've been working in IT. So I go out, I get a really good job, a six-figure IT job. I buy a house, I buy a sports car. Like I'm like, okay, I have some money now, right? Nothing changes, right? And th- then you, you get this, this realization, there's something wrong with me. And so there's this you know, cue, several years of depression, realizing there's something wrong with you. And then of course, I find the industry... And I realized the problem isn't who I am. And the problem isn't like these external factors. The problem is a third variable I've been missing, which is essentially I have really bad social skills and belief systems of who I am, of who I believe I am, which leads to confidence and other things. So that started this several-year journey, multi-year journey into fixing the problem, which eventually turned into a career. Because at that point, people started asking, hey, how did you make this progression? I saw your old videos. I saw your old th- stuff. You're very, very different now. What happened there? So then I started telling the story and then people asked me to coach and I got recruited by a company. Uh, and then eventually I started my own company. And that was 2009. But I started coaching in 2007. So it had been like a good four or five years on my journey. And then I started coaching. And then a couple years later, then I launched my own company. And so for the last 11-ish or so years, We've been doing one-on-one mentorships and we've been coaching thousands of guys in my own company, in my own organization. So that's wow. kind of the, the short version of, uh, of how we get here. Um, still five yeah. foot four, still Asian. Um, if you guys see some of the pictures of the Mohawk, that was very much a trademark from uh, back in the day. Um, yeah, that, I was around during the Mohawk days. <laughs> yeah. So. It's, it's funny because uh, taking that off is a little bit like when Gene Simmons takes off the Kiss makeup. And everyone's like, I don't want to see Gene Simmons. I want to see right. Kiss. Right. right. So it is funny with with the old timers. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. No, that's that's good, man. Sounds like I mean, it's it's really refreshing to hear that you're still in the industry. You know, like I get a little bit like, I don't know. I I just feel strange when I hear about people who have been in the industry for a long time Mm -hmm. and then they leave. I'm kind of like, oh man, really. It's, you know, it feels it, a little bit like when uh, during the coronavirus, when you like these longtime restaurants have been, you know, been in LA for 20 years, and then it's like, yeah. oh, we're sh- shutting our doors. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting because you know that they're shutting their doors because they're just pro- you know, they're not able to figure out how to get business. I mean, maybe that's the same thing with some of the dating gurus, but it feels like they're too good for it or they've moved on. You know, and mm, it just, mm. it's just like ah, oh, and, and anyone who started maybe after 2015 yeah. and left, 
I don't really care about, but like anyone from back in the day who yeah. just thinks that like too, they're too good for it or whatever. Just like really, mm. like, this is crucial work we're doing here, you know. And yeah. to each their own. Who knows what there's? I don't know their personal situations. Some people just get bored of it. They want to move on, whatever. But it's just like, all right, see you later. My point is, it's really refreshing because I haven't heard from you in a long time that you're still in it and still rocking it and everything's still the same. You know, I was just like, yeah. I was hoping that was going to be the story when we got on this call today. I was like, I really hope that it, you know, it's still, you're still helping guys and still doing dating advice. And the fact that you are just really makes me happy. Like, I really like it. It's great. Thanks, man. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a wild ride. I, I bet. I can only imagine. I mean, you have, you started in 2006, you said, coaching or seven? Uh, seven. Yeah. Seven. Okay. So yeah, you have like five years on me. So that's a, that's quite a bit. Yeah. So anyway, today I want to talk a little bit about conversation. And it was interesting because you said before this call that you have it a little bit more dialed in and broken down into parts or something to that matter in terms of how conversation works. And the reason why it's good to talk about this is because I feel a lot of guys and guys that I'm coaching now are still struggling with that, right? It's like that's still a big issue. And it's one that can be at times difficult to dissect because conversation can go into so many different areas. You don't know what's going to happen in conversation, of course, unless you control it. But I'm curious to hear what your thoughts and strategies and mindsets are around the whole conversation, meaning you're talking to a girl. And I'm going to throw it out there and say more specifically, unless you want to go this route, but more specifically, in person. So on an approach or on a date, things to that matter. Uh, yeah. So I guess the, the, the big thing is when we're talking about conversation, the first thing we need to break down is, is what is it made up of and, and why do we need to learn it? Because this is one of those things where when, when I, it's a very hard sell, right? If you're trying to learn, let's say, to, to be better at dating or social skills or, or, or whatever, right? The idea of learning how to be a better conversationalist to most people is a hard sell because it's like, it's like trying to tell a basketball player, we need to work on some dribbling, right? It's like, why? I can dribble. I know how to dribble. What's a, what's a big deal? It's like, do you know how to dribble normally or do you know how to dribble around an NBA player? Those are very, very different types of dribbling. And I know they're the same general concept, but you're not going to get in the NBA if you can't dribble around at least a, a, a college basketball player. So the level of skill is not a binary one or zero. The level of skill is like anything else, a sliding scale. Let's say it's one to 100. Most people are comfortable if they can hit like a 25, right? And 25 means they can talk with their friends. And that's okay. It's just when you're dating, especially if you're trying to... And one of the things that we talk about in a lot in, in kind of my coaching is we're trying to learn advanced social skills so that you can date up essentially, right? Which is a date out of your league. It doesn't very, take very much skill or really much anything to date someone several levels beneath you, right? So, like, you're a six foot three male model guy in Hollywood, and you're going to date a random semi overweight waitress, right? That, that idea is not difficult, right? It takes almost nothing. In fact, you can be bad at it and still succeed at that. But if you're trying to date up, you're trying to date someone who's more educated, who's smarter, who's well put together, who has her life together, is very attractive, like, you're going to have to bring something to the table. Like this idea of, I heard this, I, <laughs> I heard this thing the other day that said, why do the, the uh, she didn't use incels, but it was the, um, the analogy. I don't know if you guys have heard of the idea of Chad and Stacy. Right, Chad uh, is the... Yeah, I know Chad. What's Stacy? Stacy's the girl version of Chad, right? Okay, got it. And 
I forgot what the name of the the non chat is, but basically, she she what she was posting is why do all these guys think they deserve what Chad gets? Like a like a lot of guys have this entitlement thing of like, I deserve to like date higher or date more attractive women. It's like, do you really they think they're nice guys? Yeah, it's like 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 if you the whole the whole idea been back in the day was if you want to date a ten, you better be a ten. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be super good looking, but you have to bring something to the table. And so if you're like me, you're like a five foot four Asian guy, you can't bring 10 to the table and looks. You better bring in something else. And money than cars don't work that well. So you better bring it in something else. And usually that involves status, conversation skills, social skills, and likability. And so, yeah. and status is not necessarily, it's, it's a, it's a status is a evolutionary biology idea, not a, Necessarily, what you might be thinking, but it's it's those concepts that you bring together, and conversation and social skills are really really underrated because everyone thinks that if you can just talk to your friends, it's fine. But if I put a different scenario, you walk up to a random woman, whatever in a mall or wherever that you don't know, she doesn't know you exist, and she thinks you're ugly. Do you have the conversation skills to change her mind, as in to make her look at you and be like, well? I actually thought he was like short and ugly, but now that I talked to him, he's fascinating. I want to get to know him. That's how good your conversation skills have to be if you want to be successful at this, if you're trying to date up. And so the idea of, uh, and there's some stigma to dating up, but everyone, whether you're a girl and you want to date a, a guy who's put together or a guy or wants to date a girl who's put together, a lot of our goals are the same, man or woman. Our goals are to date high quality people and to, to eventually probably get into a great relationship. And so you're trying to date essentially the top 5% or maybe top 10% of the population, uh, these very high quality people. And if you're going to do that, you better bring that to the table yourself. And that's kind of where the conversation falls into place. Got it. Makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm on board with everything you're saying there. And it is true. You have to bring that level of likability, social awareness, and... Yeah, even guys who are very good looking, they have to bring that too. I found. Yes, okay? yes I found it's that. <laughs> yeah, I found that through clients. I've worked with clients who are you know typical good looking guys, like very good looking guys. And over the years, and also I just know people, and I've talked to girls who you know go on dates with hot guys all the time. And it ends after the first date because the guy was boring. They'll say that. And they won't even go as far as like, well, he was boring, but I slept with him. Like They won't even sleep with him. Of course, it happens. But I'm just saying, it's not that they're always going to be just like, yep, good looking guy. We're in. Men think that way because that's how we think a little bit, right? We're yeah. like, yeah, we'll sleep with the hot girl. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, even if she's a, a stutter or whatever, like, we'll do it. You know, like, <laughs> we're just wired a little bit differently. But you know what I'm saying? I feel like you probably found that as well. It's like, it's not, it's you got to have the package as much as you can. Well, I think what a lot of guys don't realize too, it's it's been very eye-opening for our guys too, because my girlfriend who coaches with me, she a lot of times will talk to the guys and and basically give like a breakdown of what what it's like to be her, right? What it's like to to basically like from her perspective, what does she, what does she look like? What does she look at and, and, and how do people respond to her? And it's very interesting because a lot of guys don't realize that if you're a good-looking guy, you're not automatically able to date a good-looking girl because she wants to date a good-looking guy who's also rich and successful. And like, like she wants to date up too. So if you're an eight and she's an eight, she doesn't want to date an eight. She wants to date a nine. 
So a lot of guys think like, oh, if I'm an eight, right? If we're just using this hypothetical scale, if I'm an eight, that means I'll be fine with girls because I'm like a five now. But if I was an eight, all my problems would be over. Like, no, it's not. Because if, if you're an eight, it just means you can date another five. But if you're an eight, you're not dating a nine unless you have the skills or the abilities or whatever to back that up and to, to give you that edge. But it's like, if you're an eight, the girl eight wants to date a guy nine or a guy 10. So you can't slack on you know, these skills and think like, oh, I'm good. I'll just write off my looks. When guys think they can write off their looks, almost invariably and statistically, the same thing happens, which is you're dating down. And there's nothing really wrong with that. If that's your goal, or that's what you're okay with, you know, I'm, no judgment here at all. But if you're trying to date up, you have to bring something extra to the table. You can't have the same... It's like in fighting, right? If you're the same size as the other guy, you can't expect to go up one weight class and have the same amount of skill. Like you're 180, the guy's 220. And he has a reach advantage and he has a height advantage and a size advantage and you're the same skill. You're going to get beat because you have to increase the skill because he's a bigger guy. And so right. that's kind of how I saw, we saw that. So what are some of your best tips in terms of how to increase these skills, specifically to conversation? How do you be a guy who's more fascinating in conversation? If you're a guy who's listening, who is not very attractive and has the typical, you know, whatever, he's short, he's of a different ethnicity and he's in America. So he has all these things that that think are bringing him down, which in a sense they are because he's thinking that way. Mm-hmm. What can that guy do to be able to persuade a woman in a sense that he's worthy? Yeah. So I think you made a really good point, which is that there are demographic disadvantages for sure. As in, if you're, say, average height of a man in, in the United States is about 5'9". Uh, so if you're, if you're below that, right? You're below 5'9", you're under average height, right? Below average. The further down away from 5'9 you get, the more severe it is. So if you're 5'8 and a half, no one really cares. You're not an, an advantage, but it's not a huge disadvantage. But when you get down closer to five foot, that becomes a very significant advantage. Same with ethnicities, Indian guys that I coach a lot, Asian guys, sometimes black guys, but there is a racial component there. And if you're one of those guys listening and you're like, it feels like I'm at a very disadvantage, big disadvantage of being like a short Indian guy or a short Asian guy or whatever, right? That's not your imagination. You absolutely are. The key to that is not to delude yourself because most of us can't and say like it's not a disadvantage. The key to that is to, is to do the same thing you did pretty much every other facet of your life where you had a disadvantage, namely uh, you know, academics, which is just work harder. Like You're not going to change being Indian or being Asian. You just have to work harder. Like You got dealt a bad hand on that, but you probably got dealt a really good hand in your career. right? So it, it doesn't help anybody to feel sorry for yourself you have to just work on this. And by working on this, we're talking about social skills and conversation skills. One of the first things, practically speaking, you have to do is in martial arts, it's, there's this idea called mat time, which is the time you're on the mat rolling, right? And mat time is super important because alongside coaching and alongside instruction and, and practice and everything else, there's a very strong kind of correlation between the more mat time you have, the better you are. And so conversation is the same which is that the more conversations you have, the better you are at this, right? So at this point, you know, I'm in my late 30s, and I've had tens of thousands of conversations just over the last 20 years, right? Maybe even 100. But I've had a lot more than the average person, which has allowed me to essentially catch up. At 25 years old, I was very stunted. So at 25, I was probably emotionally 14, right? The social skills of a 14-year-old. 
So I had a lot of years to catch up on that. So what I did is just sheer numbers of conversations. And I think a lot of people just don't have that mat time. They just don't have the time in conversation. Now, back in the day, we used to do this through cold approaching and just talking to anybody, anybody who would listen to us, we would talk to. And you know, you do need instruction, you do need coaching, you do need those things. But there is a strong component of if you don't have the actual conversation time, you don't have the reps down, you're not going to get this by reading a book. You have to have those reps in. So that's one of the first things I'd say is you've got to get the reps down. And the second, if we're going into kind of more of the nitty gritty, is without, I mean, we, 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 we can spend hours talking about the nitty gritty on what entails conversations. But I think the big thing is go and study the components of conversation. So one of the ways we break it down is conversational backbone. The main conversational backbone are your opinions. And a lot of people, especially people like me that... So I got my start in computer programming, right? Especially STEM guys like me or very logical guys. We don't understand that. Because my whole life, my parents, my culture, even career-wise, people said, I don't care about your opinions. You're a data scientist. You're a computer guy. Just give me the data. I don't, your opinions don't matter. My parents were like, my parents would, would criticize me for being opinionated when I was a kid. So they kind of stifled this idea of my own views, my own opinions. So then what do I talk about? I talk about data. I talk about data points and interesting data stuff and all things that people actually don't want to talk about in a social conversation. Because social conversations, the backbone of those are what we call strong opinions. And it is your unique opinion on something that is important and that is, inf- that is interesting, not your data point. So if someone says, what do you think of... X or you're talking about a topic, right? Like let's say travel, right? If you're talking about travel, which by the way, don't abuse this because every guy is trying to talk about travel. So keep that in mind. But if for the sake of example, if we're using this as a topic, you're talking about travel, don't give data points. Well, I went to this country and then I went to this country and then I flew here and I've flown like 80,000 miles. Like don't give data points. Nobody cares. What is your opinion? What is your unique viewpoint on this country? What did you think? Like I, part of the JetBlue tour in 2000. 10-inch, 2009, that you could pay $600 and you could fly anywhere JetBlue flies an unlimited number of times for 30 days. So I took advantage of that because I was coaching and I flew around the world, basically. I flew all over the place for $600. It was great. But I have some very strong opinions about what it's like to be in the Dominican Republic at midnight with no hotel and thinking like, I'll get by without speaking Spanish and then getting there and realizing nobody speaks English, right? Extremely terrifying, uh, especially for the first time being in that environment. Right, So your opinions on these things are so much more important than just data points. And that's something that I wish someone had kind of clued me in on circa 2001. I like that. So what I'm hearing then is opinions, emotions, stories over facts. Yeah, absolutely. Is absolutely. That, I'm just trying to make it like I'm breaking what you're saying down to, to what I'm understanding to make it simple. Yeah, especially at the beginning and really with conversation. We would classify as your, the, the, the underlying layer is mainly what we call strong opinions uh, and your, your own opinions and viewpoints. Storytelling is important too. Storytelling is very difficult to do if you've never done it before or if you just don't have a knack for it. So we layer that on top of strong opinions. And then there's other components like transitions. Transitions sound kind of like like conversations, like who can't do transitions? But if I throw a topic at you and I say, you have 30 seconds to transition me out without me noticing, that's a lot more difficult than you think it is. And if you guys have ever been in relationships where like you get a very difficult question, like 
whatever your girlfriend's like, what were you last night or whatever? Whatever difficult question is, right? Like, do you ever watch someone, a girl hotter than me in porn? Like, whatever the thing is, right? If you get one of those questions and you think, man, it is very hard to get out of this question without her noticing I change the subject, that's because you don't know how to transition. Now, most people don't know how to transition to that effect. But if you're good at it, you can change any subject into any other subject without anybody noticing. And that is a very useful tool, both in conversation as well as difficult social scenarios. Can you explain to us why that's important if you're just in a normal conversation with a girl? Like, I understand why that's important if your girlfriend's asking you, yeah. you know, hard questions that you're like, uh, I don't want to be talking about this right now. Like, Not important. Sure. Um, but if you're just in a conversation with a girl you don't know and you're trying to build attraction, wh- why is it important to do that in that moment? Super good question. So the reason that's so important is because there's a phenomenon that happens, especially when you talk to an attractive woman and you're nervous, which is that you'll milk a topic. You'll talk about one topic and you've probably done this before and you probably recognize this. You talk about one topic and she's interested. So you're talking about whatever, like football, and she happens to be into football. And then like 20 minutes later, you realize we're still talking about football and it feels weird. It feels like stale because we've been talking about the same topic for too long. And she's a little bit into it. But she's not 20 minutes into it, right? And you're just like, ah, I want to talk about something else. But every time I try to talk about something else, it takes us back to football, right? What's happening there is you're not able to transition the conversation to something else. This is especially important when you're doing, say, a like cold approach. You're talking to someone and you're talking about the current situation. We're talking about something like the weather. Like you just get into an elevator. There's an attractive woman there. She says something like, oh, how, how are you doing? It's really hot today, right? And then you're like, okay, she's talking about weather. You talk about it, and then the whole elevator ride, or however long you're talking to her, it's all about weather. And you're like, I know I have to get off of weather. I just don't know how without it sounding awkward and weird. So that's where the transitions really come into play. Yeah. Yeah, I know for sure. Because if you're talking about the same topic and it goes stale, it's just really hard for her to even get to know you or become attracted to you. Because yeah. really, the conversation isn't about you or her, it's about this topic. You know, whatever it is, yeah, the weather exactly. or travel or football or whatever it is, that's it. So she'll walk away from that and she'll be like, oh, yeah, I talked to some guy about da 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 da. Like that's what she'll remember. She'll remember that topic. And right. that just doesn't, it doesn't help you go anywhere with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So what are some other, other areas of conversation? So you talked about strong opinions. A little bit about storytelling. We talked about transitions. What are some mm-hmm. other elements in there? If there's anything else, uh, humor is huge. The only problem with humor is it's really hard to teach. And it's really hard to learn. So it's one of those things where most of, even for me, humor took a good two or three years to get down. And even then, I was just like barely a competence. Right? It's difficult because there really isn't a a lot out there to learn. So you kind of have to learn it. Kind of the Wild West, right? It's not like I would imagine it's like what, like, say, like math used to be like thousands of years ago, where it's like we conceptually, some people are good at math. We just don't know how because there's no textbooks, there's no classes. You just have it or you don't have it, right? That's humor is sort of that way right now. And there's a, there's stuff like YouTube, which is great, but it's still really hard to learn. And I know that because we're coaching our guys to it every day, right? And so we have certain I've had things. a lot of trouble with that over the years. It's actually yeah. it's my number one hardest thing to teach in the whole realm of dating advice. It's the, yeah. it's the hardest. I've tried. I've, I've barely cracked it, to be honest. But I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. 
Yeah, so we have a bunch of techniques kind of that we we break down. We actually have um, a lot of docs that we have written up that actually break down the concepts of humor. So there's a lot of... And some of these are taken from stand-up comedy, and some of these are taken from just random observations. What we've essentially done is codified humor. And it's not complete by any means. It's the same thing as like medicine. They have not codified all diseases, obviously, right? Um, We just have the big ones. And so some of the concepts, for example, are... I realized the rule of threes, which is used sometimes in stand-up comedy, but that comes up a lot in conversation. The rule of threes is a humor pattern that you may have heard, but you just didn't recognize it you heard. And it's the idea of you have two things you're talking about, or that two things that you bring up, and the third one is a punchline. So you might say, like, today, what did you do? Well, I you know, had lunch, and I got some work done, and then I saved the world. That's a, a, tri- a triple pattern. That's a rule of threes. The first two are normal. The third one is outlandish. So the third one is the punch. And that you'll see this everywhere. You'll see it in stand-up comedy. You'll see it in, in written form. You'll see it in TV shows. It's two patterns in the third one or two normal things in the third answer, right? So that's a pattern. And once you see that pattern and you recognize it and you start to learn how to use it, you can start implementing it in those, in those, in those ways. Another pattern is you know, your classic set of punch which is you lead one way and then at the last minute, it changes, right? The idea changes at the end. So that's the idea. You'll see this most often in stand-up comedy where you, the, you lead a person one direction and then at the last minute, the situation changes, right? Another one is exaggeration. If you watch Chris Rock, exaggeration is huge. He's huge. Like almost all of his comedy revolves around exaggeration, right? Unfortunately, I, I, I don't want to like give away his favorite jokes because one, they're his, and two, they are very, very bad words. <laughs> but, but if you watch great new Chris Rock stuff, um, there's a, he uses that same pattern over and over. So the, the, what we do is we teach our guys, hey, recognize the patterns. And then once you see them uh, and, and you have all these patterns, you'll start to be able to use them. So a r- really good example is like, say, for online dating. Guys are like, what do I message first? Well, you can message just a generic kind of playful message. You can do that. It's just most people are aware that you're spamming out a, a, you know, a generic message. Ideally, the best way you can do that is to go look at her profile and then say something funny. Now, that's a, obviously a harder than, than otherwise than just throwing a blanket thing out. The way you do that is you look through her profile and then you look for things that hit the patterns. So for example, one pattern you can use is when a girl's really specific about what she wants. She's like, I want a guy between like 35 and 37 who's an investment banker who works in New York City and also frequently goes to Florida and uh, also has to be, say, white, uh, above six foot tall, whatever, right? If she's really specific, what you can do is their first message is you write how great of a match you are, except you are none of those things. So like when she says she wants all these things, you'd write her and say, hey, I think we're a really good match. Thanks for whatever, double matching with me. And, and then just systematically go through each one of the things she asked for and then say the opposite, right? So she's like, I want a six foot tall. I was like, so I'm like five one. It's close enough though. I hope that's not a big deal. And then you, you go to the next thing. You're like, I'm not white, I'm black, but you know, like I'm sure there's an exception to that. So you basically go through each one of those things and you list out the exact opposite of what she's looking for. Yeah. The first couple of times, the first couple of instances, she's like, oh, this is not a very good match. By the time she gets to the last one, she realizes this whole thing is just one big trolling job, right? And it becomes funny because she's really specific. And what you're essentially doing is using this opposite pattern of calling attention to how specific her profile is by going the opposite. Yeah. I mean, when you're doing it like that, it's 
definitely going to be more unique than anything else she's seen. Specifically, if we're talking about online dating. Yeah. 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 So there's, 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 we've codified probably a few dozen of these, and there's probably realistically a hundred, 200, maybe a thousand. Um, and so the, you know, there's a process of going through. It's like, I would imagine it's like medicine, right? Going through and actually like discovering a new virus or discovering a new, whatever, atomic structure, whatever, right? And then codifying that, putting that in the table of elements, right? And so as we get further along, we have a, a wider breadth of knowledge of this. And then you can get better at all the different various elements of conversation. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and well, so the humor is, is, that, is that big component, right? And humor is really the social lubricant. Um, everyone kind of understands, unlike, unlike conversation skills or like transitioning or strong opinions, everyone kind of understands that humor is important. The big thing with humor is that nobody knows how to teach it. Like it's so difficult to teach. Even like, like you remember back in the day, like the old school guys like Mystery. Mystery didn't know how to do it, much less teach it. Like he had no idea. That's why he did magic tricks. Because if you, in the absence of any kind of humor, both learning or teaching, you have to do something else. And that something else is magic tricks. And don't get me wrong, magic tricks work great if you're that good at, at it. Like, I've, I've been at parties where we're just talking and he makes random objects on the table disappear. Like, just in the middle of conversation. It's like, oh, there's a, there's a microphone here? That's gone. Like, just went up my sleeve, right? It's like, ran, like not, like, not like, like, like a studio microphone, not like a tiny one, right? It is effective if you're that good. It's just most people aren't that good at it. So for It's the not rest practical. Of us, yeah. Exactly. It's not practical. <laughs> exactly. So for the rest magician. of us... We're going to need to actually be good conversationalists and good at social skills. Cool. Awesome. Darren, this is great. I love just how we broke down conversation here a little bit and talked about some of the most important elements. And for guys to know that this is something that they need to practice a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Really, you know, again, on any of the spectrum, whether you're short and Asian like yourself or you're super good looking, tall, muscular model. Uh, like me, just kidding. That's not me at all. Uh, <laughs> but you know, either way, I think you've made the case. You got to practice conversation. You got to practice some of these elements, and you got to get the reps in so that you can date up or get the kind of woman that you're actually interested in. So that's awesome. If guys want to work with you, they're interested in your mentorship. Where can they go to find more information about that? The best place website becomesharp.com. That has, you know, there's a contact form that has all the information. Uh, you guys can also follow me on social media, facebook.com slash DJ Fuji. I think I'm the same on Twitter. There's an Instagram, instagram.com slash become sharp. So you guys can find me all those things. There is one last thing that I, I wanted to kind of leave guys off with, which is that if some of you guys are listening and, you know, you're dabbling or whatever, but you're not quite sold on this idea that like this is that important, right? For the vast majority of guys that I coach, this is the most important kind of thing that you'll do in your life, short of maybe you being a firefighter and saving someone's life, right? And the reason, and I always tell my guys this, especially the guys that are like, that are like, yeah, it's important, but I don't, know, I don't know if this is like the most important thing. You're like, I have just a lot of other things I find important. I'm like, the reason why is if you do this correctly, or if you do it incorrectly, it's the same deal. This is likely going to be the most important decision that you'll make in your life in terms of who you pick for a partner. Because a lot of us are realizing even outside just the skill set, a lot of guys are th- of us are thinking like, oh, I'm just going to hook up with a girl or whatever, or I'll just find a girl I'm compatible with. And when you look at it big picture, what you realize, especially in, the, in say the United States legal system and the big picture of what it means to be in a good relationship or a bad one, 
the girl you choose, if you're going to be in a long-term relationship in the future, which most of us will, the girl you choose to be with is going to be the most important decision of your life. If you choose correctly, your life will essentially be amazing and rewarding and you'll, you'll live a great life. You'll have a lot of children. Like Things will be that utopia. But if you choose poorly, which the, at least half of the country does, if you choose poorly because you're not really doing your due diligence, you're not really learning this stuff, you're just kind of doing what most people do and just kind of throwing whatever at the wall and seeing what sticks, then that could potentially and very likely will ruin you financially, emotionally, in your life, in your development, everything. Because especially if you're a successful person, and you have to go through a divorce process. Or, and, and not only the financial part of that, but the emotional part of that. I've seen a lot of guys, uh, like friends and people that I know that have gone through that. And it, it just reinforces this idea that if you're not taking it seriously and learning the skills and learning how to pick a, the right partner and how to, how to make sure that, that, that you're making the right decision, that's going to come back to you. Because if you do this correctly, this is a 50-year decision. This is 50, 60-something years. If you do it incorrectly, that's also a 50 or 60 year potential decision or potentially financial ruin. So I think I want to stress to a lot of you guys listening that when you look at it big picture, maybe, maybe this is my age showing, but when you look at it from, from this perspective, the idea of picking the right person eventually when you get settled down is extraordinarily important. And I think most people don't realize that until they pick the wrong person. And yeah. then they, they, they are faced with this dread of, oh God, what did I do? So right. that's something to keep in mind, something to think about. Yep, I agree with you 100%. I mean, it's like picking a, a career, right? It's like, do you want yeah. to be stuck in a dead-end job that just sucks? And it yeah. double sucks because you hate what you're doing throughout the day and you're making bad money. Right? Yeah, so, and you signed a contract saying that, that you know, you're going to be doing right. this for the rest of your life. And if right, you exactly. stop doing it, you're going you're gonna to give the company half your stuff. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, even, it's even worse when you're, when you're trying to go for, for marriage and trying to find someone that's amazing. So yeah. Absolutely. Something that's important. That's why you do what you do. That's why I do what I do. And uh, couldn't agree more. So Darren, awesome, man. Thanks for being here. Would love to have you back in the future and dissect some other areas. I know you are a wealth of knowledge. And so it was great to, to have you on the podcast for the first time. It took too long, but glad we did it. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Awesome.